The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. The gospel of the Lord. Pray with me, please. We pray, come Holy Spirit. Lord, speak to us today that we might hear what the Spirit has to say. And that, Lord, we might grow more into your likeness. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, today I'm going to begin a series. It's going to be a nine-week series. We're going to be looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And the name of this series is The Garden Principle. It's something I did five years ago, and it seems appropriate to, to do it again. And I want to take a few minutes to describe this principle that we find uh, in the Bible. In fact, throughout all of the dealings with humanity, God has taken us, humanity, he's placed us in a garden, he speaks a word to us, and the way that we respond to that word shapes our character and it shapes our destiny. And all we have to do is just open up the beginning pages of Scripture and we find this principle right in play with Adam and Eve, right? It, it fits. Man and woman, they are created. And what's happened? They're placed into a garden. And what's the garden? It's the Garden of Eden. And a word is spoken to them. A word that, that they're to follow. A word that gives them an opportunity to be in relationship with God, to respond to Him in love. Now, this principle, again, let me restate it. God takes us. He plants us in the garden. He speaks a word to us. And the way that we respond to that word shapes our character and shapes our destiny. And it's exactly what happened in the beginning pages of Scripture. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. They responded to the word. How did they respond to the word? They disobeyed the word, and it shaped their character. And sin at that moment entered humanity. It is imputed upon all of humanity, and it shaped destiny. And we read, if we went there, that they were cast out of the garden. And you and I and all of humanity of heir, we're heirs of that. Now, of course, we know that moment. Theologically, we call that the fall. And we know that we lost something in that moment. What we lost is some, the capacity to look at life as life unfolds, to, to look at the circumstances of life, to look at the relationships, the people, those things that happen in life. We lost the capacity to see those events and see what God is doing in the midst of those events. And not that we don't see the events and we don't experience the events. We know what it's like to, to, to experience a broken relationship. We know what it's like to, to lose a job. We know what it's, it, it's like to have bad health issues. We experience that. 
We see those circumstances, but we don't see in the midst of those the ways of God. That's what we've lost. We've lost that eternal dimension. As we heard last week, we have a perception problem. We've lost the ability to see what God is doing. We see those things that are happening. We experience those things that are happening in our lives, and we call them what they're not, especially those difficult those negative emotional circumstances that we experience in life. And what we do with that is we look at that, we experience that, we say this is a negative emotional circumstance. We look at this and we say this is a barren wasteland, this is a desert. Nothing good can come from what I'm experiencing right now. We call it a wasteland, and in the principle, God looks at the very same thing, and he calls it a garden. Now, the gardens aren't a plot of land, but the gardens are the stuff of life. The relationships, those moments in life when bad things happen to us, those negative things, they can be good, they can be bad, but we tend to focus on the bad things. And we say, you know what, whatever I'm going through right now, those those negative things, whatever those circumstances are, We say nothing good can come from this. It's a wilderness. It's a desert. It's a wasteland. But again, God takes us. He plants us in a garden. He speaks a word to us. And the way that we respond to that word shapes our character and it shapes our destiny. And what's the word that he speaks to us? We know it, don't we? We know it. Romans 8, 28. Don't we know that verse so well? That, that God in all things, that God works for good for those who love him, for those who surrender to him, those who are in a relationship with him. He can take all things and he can work those for good. Don't we know that? That's his word. And you know what? We can take that promise, we can reduce it down, and we can say that God is always giving us his best. Always. Now, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be happy, happy, happy. But there's a truth here. That as life unfolds, and people might be doing the worst things to us, as life unfolds, in those times, God is constantly giving us his best. That's the promise. He takes what we think is a barren wasteland, a desert, nothing, no good can come from that. And he says, you know what? That's a garden. And he wants us to respond to him. And how does he want us to respond to him in that moment? He wants us to respond to him with faith. And what is faith? Faith is believing it the way he says it. Oh, Lord, you always give me your best. I don't get it but I believe it. Lord, what I'm going through right now, it hurts. But Lord, you can use that in my life. Garden principle. Wastelands and gardens. So, well, where's that in the Bible? Where, Where do we get that in the Bible? We get that out of Isaiah chapter 51. Isaiah chapter 51. Listen to this principle. O Zion, 
This is the Lord speaking. Zion, I have compassion on you. And I have compassion on all your ruins. I have compassion on everything that's going through in your life right now. And I know that all you see are the ruins. Isaiah 51, verse 3. But listen to this. He says, I will make your deserts. I will make those things that you see like Eden. I'm going to take you and I'm going to make those wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Do you hear it? Those things that you see and experience as a wasteland, I'm going to make them like a garden of the Lord. Those no good, nothing good, nothing can come out of this that's going to really benefit me. Those negative emotional circumstances, those things that are so hard to get through. God is saying, that's my garden. I can transform because I'm always giving you my best. And then he asked the question, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And the way that we respond to his word makes all the difference. You see, the idea in this series as we began this Fruit of the Spirit series is that God wants to change us. I pray this every time I get into the pulpit. He wants to change us. He wants to grow us from one degree of glory to another. And it's not just by self-will that happens. God's design is that the very character of Jesus would be formed in us, in you and in me. And what is that character? That character is the fruit of the Spirit that we read in Galatians in chapter 5. Love and joy and peace, peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Those are the characteristics that God wants to mold and shape and grow in our lives. His desire is that that would be our character. That as life begins to unfold, that as people do whatever they do to us, that our response, our character would be that of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness, and self-control. We say, well, how does that happen? How does God do it? How does he transform us? How does he cultivate this fruit within us? Well, it's not by the sprinkling of some kind of fairy dust. It's not by self-will, as I said. He plants us in a garden. And he speaks a word to us. And how we respond to that word shapes our character and shapes our destiny. That's how he does it. And today we begin with the first fruit. That of love. Love. Have you ever noticed how many different things that we say that we love? I mean, I love hot dogs. And I love God. I mean, I, I love Clemson football. And I love Snickers bars. Love. We use that word. It's the same word we use to describe radically different things. But are they really different things? I mean, is it possible that we can use the same word, love, to describe something because we're describing the same experience? 
We might be describing the same character of love that we have towards God and towards a candy bar, but it's just measured in different degrees of intensity. Consider the love of the world. I mean, think about how the world defines love. I mean, it's a spray of perfume, and it's the look in the eye. It's Madison Avenue. Or we watch a movie, and, and it, it's, 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 you fall in love like you trip and you fall into a hole somewhere. And how do you know that you've fallen in love? Well, you get sweaty palms, and your heart starts to beat a little bit faster. And you get a little queasy feeling in your stomach. And we think that when something or someone appeals to us so much that we call it love. But that's not love. That's an emotion. That's a feeling. Not that there's anything wrong with emotions. They're God-given. But it's important for us to call it for what it really is. That is an emotion. It's not the love of God. It's different from the real thing. It's not the love uh, that we read in Galatians 5 or the love that we heard in the gospel out of John today when Jesus says, this is my command, that you are to love one another. He's not saying that you're to have this feeling for this person next to you. He's not saying that you're to have sweaty palms and this rapid heartbeat. Do you realize that any time we find something of value in the kingdom of God, do you realize that Satan will counterfeit it? Now, first, let's just be clear. Satan is real. It's not some kind of mythology. It's not some kind of made-up thing. Satan is real. He's an adversary. Jesus says this about Satan. He's a liar. He's the father of lies, and his native language is lying. And what happens is Satan will manufacture something that looks like the real thing, something that appeals to us, something that deceives us into thinking that we're experiencing the real thing, and we see it in the very fruit of the Spirit that God wants to cultivate within us. And so often what we do, we take the counterfeit. We take, we take the counterfeit. We get tricked. We get duped into believing that it's the real thing. And the world sees that and says, well, you're no different than me. You can have Jesus. Your, your love is no different than my love. How does he do it? How does he grow the supernatural characteristic of love so that we don't take the counterfeit? You see, the world's love, the counterfeit, is born of a moment. And it's rooted in an emotion. But God's love is born in the Holy Spirit. And it's rooted in the core of our being. And there's a huge difference. Huge difference. That's what we heard, read today, Stephen, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the illustration of God's love. The supernatural characteristic of love. It's not the counterfeit of love. You see, the world's love is conditional. But God's love is entirely unconditional. The world says you, I love you because, and you fill in that blank. I love you because you cook. I love you because you're pretty. You fill in the blank. That's why I love you. And when those conditions are met and when we're swept up with those emotions, we say, oh, I'm in love. 
And the world says, you better hang on to that. You better go for that while you can get it because it might not be here tomorrow. But the reality is those conditions are not always met, right? You're not always pretty enough. You're not always valuable enough. You're not always doing the right thing. You're, you're, You're not always doing what I want you to do. And the love doesn't come and it seems to dry up. And when those conditions aren't met, we don't love anymore. And friends, that's exactly what we experience with a lot of marriages today. I love you. Boy, that day you get married, it's woohoo! I love you. And you fill in that blank. But you get down the road 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And you know what? Those conditions have changed. You've changed. And therefore, I don't love you anymore. We see that. But that's not how it is with the love of God. The character, supernatural characteristic of God, the fruit of the Spirit that He wants to cultivate in us. Did you hear it today in verse 8? Love never ends. Do we believe that? That's God's promise. Love never ends. We say, it ended in my life. But yet, it's possible. It gets better. Verse 7. Love bears all things. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love endures all things. And we say, that's impossible. I say, you're right. Without God, it ain't going to happen. You see, there's a radical difference in, in the love of the world, the counterfeit, and the real thing, God's love. So you say, well, how does he do it? Where does he cultivate this love, this fruit of the Spirit, this unconditional love? Where does he grow that ability to love regardless of the conditions of life? How does he do it? Where does he do that? He does it in a garden. And it's called the garden of rejection. What? Rejection. You ever been rejected? I'm sure you have. Some point in time in your life, you've been rejected. Maybe you weren't picked for the team. Maybe somehow your mom and dad rejected you. Maybe when you were growing up, you had this girlfriend or boyfriend. And, oh, this is the real deal, and you were rejected. Maybe you lost a job. Maybe you lost a friend. Maybe somehow you've been re- betrayed. No one's immune to rejection. No one. We've all experienced it. But do you hear what I'm saying? Rejection is the garden that cultivates love in our hearts. God takes that rejection. You say, well, that's got that. No, I don't believe that, T. Where do you get that in the Bible? How can God cultivate love in a garden of rejection, in a wasteland? Nothing good can come from this moment, this rejection I'm facing in life. And he says, it's a garden. Y'all remember Joseph? Genesis 37 through 50, the story of Joseph. Joseph is labeled as a dreamer, and he had a bunch of brothers, and they were jealous of him. So they showed their love. How did they show their love? They threw him in a pit, and they sold him into slavery. And they told Joseph's dad, their dad, that he had died, and dad grieved and mourned. And they forgot all about him. But as the story unfolds through the ups and downs, peaks and valleys of Joseph's life, he finds himself in a place of extraordinary leadership in Egypt. 
And there's this famine that's anticipated. And Joseph has this dream, this vision that he's to collect food. And he collects food for all of Egypt. And now the famine happens. And people from all over come to Egypt to get food. And guess who comes? The brothers. They come. And they're in front of Joseph, but they don't recognize Joseph. But Joseph recognized them. And he would meet with them three times, and three times he would go and he would weep for his brothers. You see, the very circumstance in his life, it could have caused Joseph to become bitter. But God used it to make him better. Genesis 50, 20. Joseph finally has an encounter with his brothers. And there's reconciliation. And he says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Supernatural characteristic of love. Joseph knew rejection. Joseph knew betrayal. He had an opportunity for bitterness. He had an opportunity for resentment. He had an opportunity for revenge. But he knew the truth. That God is always pouring out his best regardless of the circumstances. Joseph took him at his word. And he experienced the blessings of God's love. The fruit of the spirit. What about this guy named Hosea? This prophet. Quickly, Hosea was the word from God was I want you to marry a prostitute. And she rejected him time and time and time again. But yet, Hosea continued to love more and more and more. Continued to have faith in God. God would say, go back and love her more. Love her more, Hosea. Love her more. He said, I don't like this. This hurts. But you're giving me your best. And I trust you. And more and more and more love was poured out for his wife, Gomer. The garden of rejection. What about the cross? You want a picture of rejection? We read in Isaiah 53, verse 3, that it's in that garden of rejection that love was perfected on the cross. You hear it? God takes us. And he plants us in a garden. And he speaks a word to, to us. And the word is that I'm always giving you my best. And we have the tendency when we're in that circumstance, when we're in that wilderness, to miss that. And God is saying, I'm giving you my best. I want to take this experience, this wilderness experience. I want to turn it into a garden. I want to cultivate, cultivate my fruit of the spirit. Do you trust me? Now hear this. He doesn't want us to pretend that these things don't hurt. That they're not real. But he wants us to be brutally honest with him. And in our honesty, to trust him. To know that we know that he can take this experience of rejection and he can cultivate it and he can Make it love, his love, supernatural characteristic of love. How does he do this? How does he change our character? 
so that we don't get duped for the counterfeit and the garden of rejection. I want to close today because I really believe that nobody's immune to rejection in their lives. There might be some here today that are deep in rejection, that are experiencing pain. Maybe some that have experienced it months ago, maybe even years ago, and it's still fresh. I want us to just take a moment and take God at his word. To believe it the way he says it. To hear that he's able to take that. And he's able to cultivate it. He's able to, to turn it into a supernatural characteristic of love in that experience that we are in right now. If we just believe him. If we just receive him. You see, we often want God to do a new thing in our lives. But yet we continue to do the same old thing. And what he's saying is just trust me. And I can use that for you and your life. Let's pray. Lord, you know what it is. It went right up to the top of the list as you were speaking today. You know that rejection that's been faced. Maybe still struggling with it, Lord. Don't understand it. hurts. But Lord, I'm reminded today that you're always giving us your best. And you can take this moment, this circumstance, and you can use it for good, to make me better, to make us better, and not bitter, through the supernatural characteristic of your love. Lord, help us to receive that love. that we might change more into your likeness. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.